Please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, in God's Word to Luke chapter 17. We're going to read the first ten verses, Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 10. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 876. Beloved congregation, this is our God's word to us this morning. Uh, It gives life to those who hear it in faith. It confronts our sin and it gives us grace in Christ. And so let us give our attention to the reading of it. And he said to his disciples, Temptations uh, to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have done what was only what was our duty. And so ends the reading of our God's word. Let us uh, ask his blessing on our time in it this morning. Our good and gracious God, we want to know you so that we might love you, so that we might understand you, and so that we might trust you. We need you to increase our faith. We ask that you would do this as we look at your word. May your spirit give us understanding, knowledge, and love we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Around our house, we sometimes have to move plants. Uh, With the garden, it's not hard. Uh, Jen starts... The plants inside in the uh, late winter, early spring, where it's warm. And by the time they're ready to go outside, they're in small little pots. She turns them over, puts a hole in the ground, puts them in the hole, and it's pretty much done. We've also had to move some established rhododendrons. These are much larger, much more well-rooted. This requires what we call the Bob solution. Bob is our neighbor with a tractor. And he comes over, scoops them up with the tractor, asks me where he wants them, and he drops them off and we plant them. But there are some plants on our property that are too large to move. We have uh, large maples, firs, uh, cedars. They weigh thousands of pounds. They have roots that go deep. And with these, there are two options. Leave them where they are or call Steve and have them cut down. And there's an analogy here 
to our sin. In our passage, Jesus says that our sin is like a great tree, and really it's better translated sycamore than, than mulberry. Uh, sycamores are, are big trees. They can, they can grow to 100 feet tall, 10 feet in diameter. Left to your own strength, you have about as much hope of beating your sin as you do of walking over, picking up a sycamore tree, and moving it somewhere. And that's a big deal. Because our sin is is a barrier between us and God. Between us and heaven. And if we have as much hope of conquering our sin as we do of picking up an entire tree and moving it somewhere, we have to ask, what hope is there? And maybe maybe a, a good way to set this question would be, okay, so we're starting a new year, it's January. As we look at the new year, what scares you the most? Is it, is it the political environment? Is it religious persecution? Uh, maybe COVID? Or... Is it your own sin, your own pride? What scares you more? Because I know how we are tempted to answer that question. We tend to worry far more about our external circumstances than we do about the pride in our own hearts. We saw a few weeks ago, I realize it probably feels like an eternity ago, when we looked at Lazarus and the rich man at the end of chapter 16. But, but we saw there how the rich man blamed his, his consequences on all the circumstances around him. No one was there to teach me. They didn't teach me in the right way. There wasn't something exciting enough. But we saw that that was just his own prideful attempt to blame his problems on someone else. And we know that we have that same tendency within each of us. And and Jesus continues that theme, that message in our passage this morning where he declares that you have as much hope of conquering your own sin as you do of uprooting a giant tree and tossing it into the ocean. And what he's going to show us is that, that your only hope in your battle against sin is to humbly acknowledge that you can't do it and to completely to surrender to Jesus because he alone is able to deliver you. That's your only hope, is to admit you can't do it and to look to him alone who can. That's what we want to see. And to do that, we first want to see, look at the general assumption that people have about heaven, that it is essentially a participation trophy for showing up. If we really boil it down, that's what most people think. I'll explain that more in a few minutes. Then we're going to see how, how far from doing all that God requires, our real problem is that we have rebelled against him and we have led others into rebellion as well. And then finally we want to see that when we place our faith in Jesus, he does what we could never do. And that's the wonderful message of our passage uh, this morning. Now I think we all want to be better people. There are few people who, who delight in immorality who brag about being liars and cheats, unreliable. For most of us, we wish we could be free from sin. And that should be, or it is, or at least it should be, especially true for Christians. Christians 
should want to be more like their Lord, to grow spiritually, to be mature, to be godly. But how do we grow? What do we need? What will God reward? What is enough? That's, that's what we really have to wrestle with. And that's what Jesus is addressing in the last few verses in our passage, verses 7 through 10. He wants to imagine a house servant who comes in from working uh, in the field. And he says, what master is going to say, you must be exhausted having done half your job. Why don't you come in and I'll run and make you dinner? He says, no. The master is simply going to say, it's time to fix dinner. And when you've finished all your responsibilities, you can attend to your own business. What kind of arrogance would lead a servant to expect that after doing half of his responsibilities, the master would just simply remove all the other expectations and reward him? Even when the servant has done everything that is required, he's not rewarded. Because all he's done is what's expected of him, what's required. And so what's the point? Jesus is drawing a parallel here. When we think about pursuing him, when we think about pursuing heaven, we're constantly asking, have I done enough? Will he reward me for what I have done? We can tend to think that, that God should be pleased with whatever we offer and he, and he should just make up whatever is lacking. Perhaps this is because we live in a world of participation trophies where we are rewarded for just showing up. And, and I'm not trying to take a stand one way or the other for acknowledging our kids' participation on their teams and stuff. I'm just saying that the danger here is that is when we think that God is somehow obligated to reward us for just showing up. That's not reality. That's a dream world. and, And we are blinded by these false expectations. We live like we're the most valuable player on the team and we haven't even made the team yet. We're expecting trophies and accolades when we haven't gotten through the tryouts. And that's not how God works. Going back to that image of, uh, of the sycamore, again, that's the better translation than mulberry. I don't even know what a mulberry tree is. Uh, if you walk up to a tree that's 10 feet in diameter and 100 feet tall and you stick your arms around it and you try to move it, God's not going to say, well, you tried. Let's just pretend the tree got moved. Unless it's gone, God's not going to pretend it is. And that's what conquering your sin is like. It's hard. On your own, it's impossible. Beloved, you cannot remove the barrier between you and God. And that helps us to understand what Jesus is saying at the beginning of the passage and and what he refers to as the little ones. Little ones are simply those whom you are tempted to think of as unimportant. Jesus is challenging the idea that there are people 
who are worth your time, and then there are other people who aren't. He's talking about people like Lazarus in the previous passage. Lazarus was a little one. No one thought he mattered, but Jesus said he's important. God is saying that that battling our sin takes more than simply focusing on ourselves. We need to be striving to help others grow. And not just the important people who we think are worth our time, everyone. He says, woe to those who who put a stumbling block in front of them. Really, that's a better translation than temptation to sin. It's a stumbling block. Stumbling blocks are anything that impede growth. And in this case, that's growth towards God, progress towards God. Now, of course, that might be inviting someone to sin. It could be disparaging someone when they try to do right, calling them a goody-goody or whatever. Obviously, overt uh, invitations to sin are wicked. But I don't think that's the only thing that Jesus is thinking of, or even the primary thing, because of what he says in verse 3. He gives three commands that tell us what he has in mind. And and the implication here is, is doing these things promotes growth. Failing to do them hinders growth or it promotes sin. It creates stumbling blocks. The first is, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Why is one of our greatest fears confronting others? We know we don't want to be the bad guy. We, we don't want to lose friends. And we certainly don't want to suffer someone's wrath. Sometimes we're simply just apathetic and indifferent towards their spiritual condition. Can you imagine a doctor who knew what was wrong with his patient but wasn't willing to share it? That's what it's like when we see our brothers and our sisters struggling and refuse to talk to them about it. Love drives us to confront. The Bible says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We need to be willing to correct people when they're going down a bad and dangerous road. That doesn't mean we need to be brutal when we confront. The Bible says speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean we have to confront every little issue because love covers a multitude of sins. But we can't ignore those persistent, unrepentant issues that that lead God's children down a, a path of destruction. And to this, Jesus adds an implied second instruction. Listen and repent. When he he suggests that if your brother hears you and repents, he's suggesting this is a good thing and we should do this too when we are confronted. That's the goal. If someone loves you enough to confront you, you should listen. But we all know our temptations. When people try to speak into our lives, what do we do? We, We tell them to mind their own business. Well, we deflect by accusing them of thinking they're perfect. 
Or we give that passive-aggressive, I can't do anything right, maybe I should just leave. Or maybe we redirect. Well, what about so-and-so? They're worse than me, why aren't you talking to them? The last thing you should ever want to do is make people afraid to speak into your life. If people are afraid to talk to you about your sin, you need to be willing to ask yourself that hard question. Have I made them afraid to talk to me? Have I isolated myself from the loving voice of friendship? If so, you're only hurting yourself. The final instruction. Rebuke those who are in sin. Listen and repent when confronted. And the third is to forgive. Now I think we do need to be careful here about what Jesus means by forgiveness. He's not saying that there are no consequences anytime someone asks for forgiveness. He's, forgiveness is, is choosing not to be the one to punish it's choosing not to hold bitterness in your heart. It doesn't mean removing all consequences. A spouse who's been cheated on or abused might forgive and divorce. Uh, a victim of assault might forgive and press charges. But I don't really think that's what Jesus is addressing when he talks about seven times in a day. He's talking about that day-to-day circumstance with your friends, your family, close, everyday life. And we know what happens. They say they're sorry, then they do it again. And we know that temptation is to say, oh, they've said that before. Or to say, you must not be a Christian. You do this over and over. To give up on them. I can put up with your, you messing up once or twice, but seven times in a day? But you know the problem. How many times have you told Jesus you were sorry? Only to do the same thing again that very same day. Jesus is simply saying he expects us to show grace to each other over and over. Refusal to show grace places a stumbling block before others. It gives them the impression that there can be no grace for someone like them. There can be no forgiveness. Failure to do any of these threes, to rebuke, to listen and repent, to forgive, presents stumbling blocks to those around us. Failure to confront sins leads others to stumble. Failure to listen and repent leads others to stumble. Failure to show grace leads others to stumble. And Jesus takes that seriously. He says, it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and have you thrown into the sea than to be left free to lead others into sin. This seems to be a combination of two references. One is Abimelech and the other is Pharaoh. And what's interesting is is Abimelech, who is the son of Gideon in the days of the judges, he after his father died, he wanted to be the leader of Israel. So he killed his 70, yes, 70 uh, brothers. As my family talked about this week, Gideon must have had a lot of wives, 70 kids. Abimelech kills all of them 
ascends into leadership, and then leads Israel into sin. And one day as he's entering a city, a faithful woman takes a millstone from the city wall and drops it on his head. Took care of that problem. But Jesus also invokes the image of Pharaoh, whom he drowned in the sea. And I think the point is this. In one sense, Pharaoh was one of Israel's greatest enemies, but Abimelech, one of Israel's own, acted as if he was an enemy. He, he didn't help God's people follow God. He, he was an, as much as an impediment as Pharaoh was. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're, you're from the household of God, if you lead others into sin, you are acting like an enemy. And it would be better to be cast into the sea with a millstone around your neck than be left to wreak havoc in God's house. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would all admit that there are plenty of times where that describes us, where we act like enemies of God's people. Far from helping each other, we lead each other into stumbling. Far from acting like faithful servants, we we act like enemies. Far from doing our duty, we undermine our master. Far from being the servant who's done everything that was required, we've done things that were forbidden and not everything that was required. And we have to ask, what hope is there? And this is where Jesus brings up what can be accomplished by faith. Right there in the middle in verses 5 and 6, he talks about faith. His disciples talk about faith. Faith is is when you place your trust in another. When you stop relying on yourself and you place your hope in someone else's hands. Faith is when you say, I can't do it. Jesus, save me. Imagine a master who looked at his servants and said, you haven't done your duty. You've undermined me. You've impeded my other servants from serving me. Had you done everything you were commanded, you would simply have been doing your job, but but you haven't done all you commanded. And then the master said, but I offer you forgiveness. I will forgive your rebellion. More than that, I'll, I'll freely pay your debts. And I will make you an heir. I will treat you like my own child. Come. Sit at my table. I have prepared a meal for you. Come and rest. Conquering our sin is hard. Giving hope of eternal reward takes takes more than the bare minimum. It requires someone who has done more than was required. And there is only one who can say he has done that. Jesus Christ, he is is the eternal God. He he is the great master to whom all obedience is due, and yet, yet he lowered himself. He came into this world, took on the form of a servant, 
And he became obedient to the point of dying on on the cross in our place. And for this reason, we are told, he is given the name above all names. Every knee in, in heaven and on earth will bow before him. And he alone is the one who could walk up to a sycamore tree and say, depart to the ocean. And it would obey. And that means he alone is able to take our sin and, he, and cast it into the sea. He alone is able to save me and he alone is able to save you. He alone is able to give you victory over your sin. And that's Jesus' whole point here. You either trust his strength to fight your sin or you trust his whether you trust you when when you trust yours you sink deeper and deeper and deeper you lead others to stumble and, and you don't confront sin and you don't listen when confronted and you don't give grace to others when they fail but faith is when you look to Jesus and you say i am an unworthy servant deserving no reward no praise i haven't done what is required i need help save me i trust your strength and not my own. That's what faith is. And that's why the disciples begged Jesus to increase their faith in verse 5. Help us to trust your strength and not our own. And Jesus says, with the smallest amount of faith, the smallest amount of trust in him, it will be far more productive in their spiritual growth than all the strength they could muster. If they would just trust him a little bit, they would see their sin cast into the sea. Transplanting sycamores might be impossible for us, but with God, all things are possible. Beloved, you are not without hope. When you humbly acknowledge that you can't do it, when you surrender to Jesus, you find that He is able to deliver you. That won't be complete until the next life, but it will begin in this one. He'll give you the strength to do what's hard and beneficial to others. He'll help you to confront sin in those you love, and He'll teach you to listen and to repent when confronted. And to give you the grace to forgive even when sin is repeated seven times in a day. As your faith grows, your ability to do these things will as well. One of the ways our our Lord helps our faith to grow is by, by reminding us of who we are, of who He is, and what He has done for us. He does this through the Bible. He does this through the preaching of the Word. But He also does it in the Lord's Supper before us. Jesus asked, What master rewards his servants by preparing a meal for them, though they haven't done what they're supposed to do? And His response is, I do. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that that Jesus became a servant to do what we could not You can't conquer your sin through sheer strength and you certainly can't just by showing up. But those who trust in Jesus find 
their sin thrown into the sea. And with it comes a comfort and a peace that this world can't understand. So as you seek to grow in godliness this coming year, and I hope every year, I'd encourage you that your prayer would simply be, Lord, increase my faith. I'd like to ask uh, the elders to come up this morning as we receive the Lord's Supper. Father, we cannot conquer our own sin. We cannot earn your reward. We need grace. We need faith. Increase our faith. Help us to rely less on ourselves. Help us to trust in your strength to love and to serve others, to gently rebuke when they are in sin, to humbly listen when they rebuke us, and to graciously forgive when they repent. May we never place stumbling blocks in each other's way. May we help each other grow. And may we see our sin conquered by your grace. Amen.